0: Thank you for joining the podcast of Clifton Baptist Church in Forest, Mississippi. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by a message from our pulpit today. Thank you for joining us, and may God bless you. Great job. Fantastic singing. Great worship. Now, now that all the announcements are behind us, Everything else, all the extracurriculars. Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. I can get up here and preach now. And uh, y'all got me tore up. I done drink my whole water. I ain't even started preaching yet. Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. Uh, you'll recall up to this point, and I'll be brief with my. Uh, review here. But up to this point, you will remember that uh, the walls were completed in 52 days. And it's been a great blessing that the walls have been uh, rebuilt and the gates have been restored. But what now? And that's been our transition a little bit. What, what takes place now that this great work of the Lord uh, has been completed? And if you'll recall last week in Nehemiah chapter 7, uh, we looked at a place for God's people, a place for God's people, and how Nehemiah began to uh, put people in place that he knew uh, would be able to lead. He 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 began to establish a a citizenship uh, amongst the people, or probably what we in our culture are, are more familiar with, uh, what we would call a census. And um, we, what is that? Did y'all see that? What was that? What was that? Yes. Okay. Sorry, I thought it was a mouse. I thought it was a mouse. I thought, no, 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 no. Okay, everybody calm down. Everybody calm down. It's a toy car. I thought it was a mouse. I about had a serious situation here. Okay. No, no big deal. No big deal. We done had a lizard, so I wasn't sure the other day we had a little tiny uh, dinosaur over here, <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 7, he, he's putting these people in place. He, he's established leaders. He, he's, he's put together a uh, citizenship or a census, as we would know. And he really, what Nehemiah really began to do is to encourage worship amongst the people. That was really what his desire was. He it's easy sometimes, not all the time, but it's easy to put people in place for something, but it's not always easy to get people to worship, okay? That's the hard part. We can assign people to things. We can put people in place of position and in place of leadership, but you can't get people or make people worship, okay? And so that's where we kind of left off last week. Nehemiah was really encouraging worship amongst the people, And so we get to Nehemiah chapter 8 here, and when we get to Nehemiah chapter 8, tonight I want us to look at a place for God's Word, okay? Last week we looked at a place for God's people. Tonight let's look at a place for God's Word. Again, Nehemiah chapter 8. All through history, uh, we have seen records, we've seen historical inputs of how the Word of God has had an impact and had an influence on citizenship, on countries per se. Uh, centuries ago, even before Shakespeare, it was said about England that England was a country of one book, the Bible. Okay, We know and we are familiar with our founding fathers and the impact that the Word of God had on... Uh, the United States. Maybe not so much now, but at one time it was the, uh, it was the backbone for our founding fathers. It was the backbone in which uh, the principles and the constitutions of our country was written on and was founded on and was ran upon even. Um, and I, I found a quote from uh, President Woodrow Wilson that said this. It said, it said, we, it said America was born to exemplify the devotion of the elements of righteousness, which are derived only from the revelations of the Holy Scripture. Okay? America was born to exemplify that devotion of the elements of the righteousness that are derived from, derived from the revelations of Holy Scripture. Here in Nehemiah chapter 8, as we approach it, we see how the Scriptures, how the Word of God is making the nation of Israel, how it is impacting the nation of Israel. And I got to thinking about how much impact, and, and I know we, we this kind of goes hand in hand with this morning and talking about the Gideons and the Word of God, but I got to thinking, how much does the Word of God impact our church? How much does the Word of God impact our church? Because church, if we're not careful, we'll eat ourselves to death, we'll fellowship ourselves to death, we'll handshake ourselves to death, we'll, we'll teach Sunday school ourselves to death, but we won't even get in the Word of God. So I wonder how much impact does the Word of God really truly have on our church? And that is where we find ourselves here in Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah really, he, he, he doesn't want to just uh, leave the people. You know, he, he understands that he's not going to be here with them forever. He's eventually going to go back to being the king's cupbearer at some point, but he doesn't just want to leave them and the walls be torn down in six months, right? That's not what he wants. The Lord's brought him here to do a great work. He wants to see that it continues on, right? And so... That's kind of our transition. Nehemiah chapters one through seven. We've kind of seen that as we move into chapters eight through thirteen. We will see Nehemiah take a focus more on spiritual ministry. More on spiritual ministry. Now we're going to be talking about this a little bit more on Sunday mornings as well. This is just that's just kind of how the Lord works it out. On I've been praying about where we're going to go direction-wise. We finished 1 Peter. We've gotten through that, and, 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 and I don't want to give you too much into it, but the, the Lord just kind of brought me straight to Second Peter, and so we're going to be working through 2 Peter. And in 2 Peter, we're going to take a, a look at how he focuses a lot on knowing the Word of God, knowing the Word of God. And so that's kind of what Nehemiah is focusing on here, uh, the, the, the spiritual side of things. Listen, the, the buildings, the programs... The budgets, the finances, all those things are great. All, thank you, brother. All those things are great, but what are they without the Word of God? What are they? I've been in meetings all day today, passing budgets and, and, and talking about needs for the county and the Baptist church and talking about all those things. But you know what I didn't hear today? I didn't hear anything about the Word of God. All I heard a lot about was money money. Ministry things for people, all those things are nice. They're great. I told you that this morning. Ministries that do great things, that, that they, they fulfill them, that's great. But I'm talking specifically about where are we spiritually. As we get ready for revival, as we get prepared spiritually for revival, where are we? Now, I hadn't been here that long, in case you couldn't tell that. But I got a pretty good idea where we are i got I got a really good idea where we are, and it doesn't take long for me to figure it out and you say well, well 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 what do you mean by that? Well we're just we're going to get into the text, okay we're going to get into the text. Nehemiah here chapter eight, he kind of takes a swing a little bit, but I want you to notice that both Ezra and Nehemiah, both of these men and we've talked a lot about how Ezra and nehemiah how both of the how their writings both kind of uh, um, weave together and there's a lot of uh, there, there's a lot of things that are identical in both of those and they're kind of experiencing the same things but what you can say about both of those men is that they put the word of God first in the life of the city when I came to Clifton Baptist Church I did not come here for the facilities I did not come here because you have a Uh, an awesome pastorium. I didn't come here because there was people here. I came here because I want us to grow spiritually. I came here because I want my kids to be in a church that can grow and help them to mature spiritually. That was one of the things we talked about. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to cleanse and revive the hearts of the people of God. I'll say it again. The Spirit of God will use the Word of God to cleanse and to revive the hearts of the people of God. The Word of God. You want to know what you need for revival? Right here it is. The Word of God. You want to know what you need? You know, all these people today are writing books on how to make your church grow, and all these steps you need to take, and we need to dim the lights out, and we need to paint the walls black, and we need to do this, we need to do that. All these strategies that, that I hear over and over in the conventions and in the committee meetings and all these things, it's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. I know sometimes I make a joke about announcements and things like that, but in reality, that's not why God called me here. God called me here to preach to you. God called me here to feed you spiritually. God called me here to pour into your lives, and in return, you all pour into my lives and into my kids' lives, wherever they are. Even though, listen, they may have dressed in maroon today, but don't y'all get any ideas, okay? Somebody's already, I've already heard the rumblings, all right? Yes? They're dressed in maroon. Y'all know very well I didn't dress them in maroon. Okay, their mama did. But don't y'all get any preconceived notions because they're, they're dressed in maroon, all right? But <laughs> let's look at a couple things Nehemiah wants us to focus on, okay? Number one, understanding the Word of God. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 together. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. Okay? So we're going to see a little revival Bible conference take place right here. All the people, it said, gathered together. Brother Billy Ray just talked about the importance of us gathering together for revival. All the people gathered together, it said here. Okay? They gathered together themselves as one man to the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. Verse 2. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. Verse 3, And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand, and that the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. I'm going to preach to you. Y'all ready? Y'all geared up now? Everybody good? All right, here we go. So, first things first. Nehemiah wants us to know it's important to understand the Word of God. Now, he uses that word understand a couple times here. Matter of fact, he uses it twice in, amongst verses 2 and in verse 3. So what we see taking place here is a little bit of... of I wouldn't necessarily call it a revival, but it definitely is a gathering amongst the people... that are are hungry, that are excited, that are thrilled to hear the Word of God. Nothing gets your pastor more fired up when people walk in church like this. Nothing gets me fired up more than that right there because I, I want you all to come and be excited to hear the Word of God. Be excited to hear it. When I study it, I can't get enough of it. That's how I want you all to be. When you read the word of God, you should not be able to get enough of it. It's like blue plate. See? I'm getting I'm learning. I'm learning. It's like blue plate. You just can't get enough of it. Okay? That that that's what Nehemiah says. So it's not necessarily a revival here, but the people are excited and, and they want to understand, they want to know. The Word of God. I don't care what you say. I I don't care. We can argue this until you're blue in the face. But you will never understand the Word of God by sitting at home and turning on your TV to some preacher who doesn't preach, who has no ounce of the Holy Spirit in him whatsoever. All he wants is your money so he can drive around in his BMW, or his Mercedes, or whatever his his vehicle choice is, you will never understand the word of God like that. Nehemiah he sets us and, and 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 he brings about Ezra here. We see in verse one, they spake unto Ezra the scribe. All right, so he wants us to understand the word of God. They 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 gathered in the street before the water gate. We see that also in verse one. Now you'll recall. Back in Nehemiah chapter 3, we talked about those gates, remember? We listed each one, we went through them, and we talked about the significance of them through the gospel. And when we got to the water gate over Nehemiah chapter 3, we talked about that gate. And I told you then that that gate symbolized or or was a picture of the Word of God. And the reason back in Nehemiah chapter 3 that that was a symbol or a picture of the Word of God... Is because that was the only gate, you'll recall, that didn't need to be repaired. That was the only gate that didn't need to be repaired. And the reason we reference it to the Word of God is because the Word of God needs no repair. Remember we talked about that? Well, also, the reason it symbolizes the Word of God, now that we are in... There was a little bit of foretelling there. But now that we are in chapter 8, we see the, another reason it, it symbolizes the Word of God, the water gate, is because... This is where literally they Ezra sets up a pulpit and begins to preach the word. Okay, that's another reason it's viewed as or to symbolize the word of God. Now, um, Ezra was a great choice to lead this, or or to to you know notice Nehemiah didn't say, well, you know, I need to preach it myself. Or Nehemiah obviously had no ego or anything. He was perfectly fine. Uh, with, with Ezra doing this here, and he had no issue with that. And, but Ezra was a great option, was a great choice. And the reason is because if you look over in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, this is what it says. It said that Ezra had prepared his heart. Listen. Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. Now, when he's talking about the law of the Lord right there, he's talking about the Word of God. Okay? not just to seek the law of the lord and to do it but to teach it to teach it every day you can take ezra's name out of there and you can fill in the blank with your name and i hope that's your heart every day i want addison to prepare his heart to seek the law of the lord so what exactly did ezra do during this time what does what does one do what does what does a a, a a a meeting of the Bible here look like in these verses. Well, verse one, he brought the book. They they spoke unto Ezra to bring the book. Okay, I know that you're like, well, duh, but he brought the book. He didn't come in here and 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 and. And, and set some devotion down and start speaking it. He didn't open up some, some New York bestseller devotion or anything like that. He brought the book. He brought the book. Now, one thing else I want you to note here, and I'm going to go through this rather quickly, but it also says that this was on the first day of the seventh month. You see that in verse 2, the first day of the seventh month. Now, the seventh month was a special time, for them, uh, because on the seventh month, the first day was the Feast of Trumpets. And then on the tenth day of the seventh month, it was the Day of Atonement. And then on days 15 through 21 was the Feast of the Tabernacles. And so the seventh month for them was very important. It, it, it was a time for a fresh start. It would be very similar to our church calendar turning over in January 1. You know, everybody that ever has a desire to do something that they haven't done their whole life, for some reason they decide that they're going to start on January 1. Okay? So that's kind of how this takes place. Nehemiah says, hey, walls are built. We got a fresh start. You know, times are... are, We got a, a new beginning here. So what are we going to do first and foremost set up a pulpit we're going to preach. We're not going to have a big welcoming party. We're not going to have a big to-do list here. We're not going to do this or do that or you know, I'm so glad when I came here you all didn't have a parade for me welcoming or anything like that, you know, down the street here, you know. He just Nehemiah says, "Hey, the works done. We're going to we're going to get in the word of God. That's what we're going to do." And so, not only did he bring the book, but look at verse 5. He opened the book. Verse 5 says, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. Do you see that there? So number one, he brought the book. I know you say, well, that, that's obvious. You would be surprised. You would be surprised how many people come to church and don't bring their Bible. Don't throw anything at me. Don't throw anything at me. You would be surprised how many people come to church don't bring their Bible. Young people, bring your Bibles to church. Okay, always bring your Bibles to church. I'm not getting on to you. I'm encouraging you. Bring your Bibles to church. I know one day you're gonna get them car keys. Gonna dangle them things around. Look, look at what I got. You know. Hey, bring your Bible. Make it important. Bring it to church. Then he opens the Bible. Now, this would have been more of a scroll. Okay? We have to go back into the time here to think of it. But uh, this would have been more of a scroll that, that, that Ezra would have been reading off of here. It wouldn't have been literally like we have here today in front of us. Uh, but here's what's interesting, church. The people would stand up. When Ezra was preaching, they would stand up. Now, we're, I'm not going to ask you to do that. okay? But I want you to understand how much the Word of God meant to these people. That they would stand up. Now, here's what else is different about Ezra. When you study about Ezra and the life of Ezra, and and the sermons that he would give, he would preach on average about five to six hours. If we tried that today? I'd be in trouble. Five or six hours he would preach, and they would stand up the whole time. Why? You say, well, why is that important? They wanted to know the Word of God. That's why it's important. I, I, I have no issue going to a ball game, standing up all day, walking around 17 miles, up, up a hill, down a hill, up a hill, down a hill, sweating. Went, had my first experience down here at the fair the other day. My head's all burnt up, as you can see. Had no problem doing that. Got on a ride, all that good stuff. I wanted to experience everything. Okay, Got no issues doing that. We can't even get people to come to church. I know I'm not talking about you all because you all are here. Okay? but We can't even get people to come to church, let alone come and stand up for five or six hours while I read the scroll. But that's what happened. That's what happened. He would preach. Uh, he would begin early in the morning, and he would end up sometime around midday, one or two o'clock in our time, um and also verse eighteen tells us, if we skip ahead to verse eighteen, it says, also day by day, from the first day unto the last day, he read in the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day was a solemn assembly. So this went on for a week. That's what happened every day, for five or six hours they would come, stand up, hear, say, well, well, you know. Why is that? Why is it? Well, I'm going to tell you here in just a second. Look at verse 8 with me. So not only did he bring the book, not only did he open the book, but look at verse 8. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. They read. They read the book. Let me tell you what I... I, I, I read this text, and, and what I didn't see is that they had a potluck. I like potlucks. Don't get me wrong. Don't y'all think I'm, I'm getting rid of the potlucks or anything, okay? We're not getting rid of potlucks. I'm just saying they didn't have one. I didn't see where the... I don't even see where the choir got up and sang. I don't see that. I see where they opened the Word of God. The People were hungry for it. They stood up. And I believe the reason they did that, because they didn't have the Word of God. They, they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't have it at their fingertips like we do today. We have the Word of God accessible to us more so than ever before. And yet it's used the less. Now, does that make any sense at all whatsoever? To me, that makes zero sense. We have access to the Word of God and, uh, you know, literally... You can get on Amazon, and if you've got the right mail person around here, you can get it in maybe a couple of days. If you don't, you're out of luck, okay? But you can get anything shipped to you in a couple days. You can get the Word of God shipped to you. You can get it down at the Walmart. Word of God. You can get it down there. You can get it on any electronic device you have. The Word of God is accessible to us more so than ever before, and yet it's used. The least. Let's use the least. Nehemiah wants us to understand that, that he wants us to know that understanding the Word of God is important. The whole reason, the whole reason Nehemiah got Ezra to stand up and preach the Word of God is because Nehemiah wanted the people to understand the Word of God. He wanted them to know. That's Pastor 101 right there. That's the whole reason I hope that any preacher, pastor, evangelist does what they do because they, they, should, they should stand behind this pulpit and want the people to understand the Word of God. Now I know some of you have been in church your whole life. You've heard every sermon preached ten times. That's Okay. There's going to be some things that even you will never understand. Believe it or not. I know it's hard to believe. I know. I know it's hard to believe. Number two. Not only did he want us to to understand the word of God, but he wanted us to rejoice in the word of God. Rejoice in the word of God. And I'm about to start talking really fast right here. Verses 9 through 12. Okay? Verses 9 through 12. Rejoice. Look at verse 9 with me, please. Verse 9. He says in verse 9, it says, And Nehemiah, which is the Tertia, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites, that taught the people, they said unto all the people, okay, this day is holy unto the Lord your God, mourn not nor weep. Listen, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Not only did they stand up for five or six hours, they began to cry. They began to weep. It wasn't Ezra's preaching that was doing it. It wasn't Ezra's preaching. The people's initial response was one of conviction. I believe that's one of the biggest things that's missing in our churches today is conviction. Nobody gets convicted over sin anymore. Nobody gets convicted of it. They just go about their day. Oh, well, they, 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 they think that Jesus is some men in black tool that just... Bam, zap! It's gone. Listen, he does that, but conviction is very real, folks. Conviction is very real. The word of God brings about conviction; it leads to repentance. If it wasn't for conviction and repentance, then 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 how do you explain salvation? What what do you? If you don't have conviction over anything, and you're not repenting over the, anything then what is it exactly that Jesus died for? If you're not repenting of anything, then what, what, what exactly did Jesus save you from? It isn't just enough for us to read the Word of God or to receive the Word of God, but we must also rejoice in the Word of God. Psalm one nineteen one sixty two 162 says this. It says, I rejoice at thy word, as one that findeth great spoil. That word spoil right there means treasure. Psalm one nineteen, one sixty two. I rejoice at thy word at one that findeth great spoil. Oh how our society today treasures things that have no value in eternity. They may have value down here. That's great. They may have value on on this population, but they have no eternal value. Folks, there are many, many great treasures in the Word of God. Many great treasures. We should rejoice in them. If we only read the Word of God out of a sense of duty, if we read it, we read it, but we don't really want to read it. Those treasures may never be revealed to us. Psalm, The first Psalm, verse 2 says this, and we, we've, we've covered this on our Wednesday nights, but, but His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law doth He meditate day and night. Church, I want to ask you, do you delight in His law? Do you delight in His, in his law? Not only... Not asking you, do you understand it? But do you delight in it? Rejoice in it. Together with the Levites, Nehemiah, he, he convinced the people to stop mourning and to start celebrating. So not only my third point, point, then I'm finished tonight. This is the hardest one of them all right here. Save the most difficult for last. Not only did Nehemiah have a desire for the people to understand the word, not only did he have a desire for them to rejoice in the word but third and finally tonight he had a desire for the people to obey the word obey the word listen when i was growing up it wasn't hard for me to understand what mama expected of me it wasn't very hard for me to understand it cuz she made it pretty clear to me you know what i'm saying It wasn't hard for me as a kid to rejoice when I would be rewarded for something or rejoice in a blessing that the Lord had for me. But even though I understood what mama expected of me, it wasn't always easy to obey. It wasn't always easy to obey. Nehemiah understands that. Nehemiah understands, hey, listen, I know we've put people in place. I know we've established leadership. I know I've brought Ezra in here to preach this incredible Bible conference here to everybody every single day for five or six hours. But we got to obey. Verses 13 through 18. I want you to look at verse 14 with me. Verse 14. It says, And they found written in the law, okay, which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month. So he's talking about the feast here of the seventh month again. He's talking about what's coming up, okay? But specifically what I want you to focus on is that they found written in the, in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in the booths. So they found out something that the Lord wanted them to do through the word, Okay? So what did they do? Verse 16. Look at it with me. So the people went forth. And they brought them. And they made themselves booths. So in verse 14, they found out a desire that the Lord wanted them to have these booths. In verse 16, they went forth. They're obedient. Right? They're obedient. Let me tell you something. When the Lord tells you to do something... I can attest to this personally, okay? And you obey and you do it. Verse 17 happens. And all the congregation of them that were come out, were come again out of the captivity made booths, and they sat under them. So they all, they all did what the Lord had desired for them to do. For since the days of Yeshua, the son of the nun, unto the day had not the children of Israel done so. They hadn't done it before though. This is something new to them. This is change. You don't know what we think about change, right? But then look what happened. And there was very great gladness. Church, I promise you, ten times out of ten, you know the Lord wants you to do something. You obey it. Great gladness in your life. With great gladness every time I don't care what it is anytime somebody talks to me anytime I counsel somebody no matter what some way or another we get to are you happy is there gladness in your life is there joy in your life right now a lot of times the answer to that question is no They wouldn't be talking to me. No. I could take them back to this verse right here and say, well, let's look at what the Word of God says about it first. Okay? I don't care what it is. Whatever issue it is you have. I don't care what it is. Whatever issue it is you have. First thing you need to do is find out what the Word of God says about it. And then the second thing you need to do is you need to figure out, are you obeying that? Are you obedient to that or not? And if if the answer is no, there's your gladness issue. Church, I just want to ask you this one question tonight, and then I'm closing out. Where is God's Word in place in your life? I'm not asking specifically about the church. not even asking about your family. I'm asking specifically about you and you alone tonight. Where is God's word? Where is its place in your life? Everybody in this room already knows the answer to that question, and I can't answer it for you. But I can tell you I've had times in my life where God's Word wasn't at its right place in my life. I can tell you a lot of good didn't come out of those times. So church, it's important for us to understand the Word. It's important for us to rejoice in the Word, because there is so much to rejoice about. But it all starts with, are we obeying the Word? Heads bowed, eyes closed tonight. Right now, before anything else, this altar is open. Right, right this very second. I'm not asking you to make any confession tonight. I'm not asking for any judgment tonight. I'm just asking you simply if you know right now in your heart that God's word does not have its rightful place in your life. Won't you come down to this altar tonight? And just pray. promise you nobody's looking around nobody's judging you that's not what we're about here if god's word is not where it should be in your life tonight come and just pray tonight instead of looking around to the left and looking around to the right you look inside tonight you know right now Maybe you're here tonight, you study God's Word, you know God's Word, but maybe you are not obeying it like you should. Maybe the Lord tonight has put something on your heart that is an area in which you know that you need to obey. Maybe He's led you to do something, maybe He's encouraged you to do something, maybe He's even equipped you to do something tonight, and you know you need to follow through with that. just a moment. We're going to stand and sing. I'm not going to prolong things tonight, but we're going to stand and sing. And when we do, this altar is still open. If you need someone to pray with you, I would love to pray with you tonight.